This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Richard Davies. And before we start the show, I'm asking you for a little iTunes love. If you enjoy listening to us, then please rate and review us. How do we fix it? Thanks. You have to be trained and passionate about something, ideally some skill that's actually in demand. Without some form of meaningful education, you're screwed. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, the problem we're talking about in this episode is the skills gap, the fact that too many college grads aren't working in their chosen fields, and that way too many people also never finish college at all. And yet at the same time, there's a skills gap. You hear from all kinds of employers, they can't find the skilled tradespeople, things like, you know, welders or machinists that they want to hire. So something's out of whack here. We need to revitalize our skilled trades. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And this is How Do We Fix It? And our guest today, Mike Rowe. I'm really excited to have Mike on the show. Mike's someone I've worked with before. He did some articles for me at uh, Popular Mechanics. And um, everybody knows him from Dirty Jobs, a great show that ran for more than eight seasons on the Discovery Channel. Now he's hosting a new show on CNN, Somebody's Got to Do It, going into its third season, Sunday, September 27th. And we're joined in the studio today by our producer, Miranda Schaefer. Mike Rowe is joining us via Skype from his home in Santa Monica. Welcome to the show, Mike. So, Mike, how did you get interested in this issue? Well, I guess the first time it really struck me in a meaningful way was in 2008 when the economy shifted. You know, headline news was all about the unemployment rate. But everywhere I was going on dirty jobs, I was seeing help wanted signs. And I just started to talk to more and more employers about the single biggest ongoing challenge they faced. And it it really didn't vary too much from industry to industry. It was always the ability to recruit people who were willing to learn a skill that was actually in demand and work. Do you think that's different from what was the case, say, 30, 40 years ago? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm i tempted to say yes, just because we have that sort of recency bias about us. You know, it seems different for us. I do think the thing that's changed, though, is the definition of what a good job is. And fundamental underlying definition of what a good job is, is something we can control. 
And I think we've let it get away from us. So, Mike, you, you wrote a piece for me once at, when I was at Pop and Mechanics about an experience you had in high school with your high school guidance counselor. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, that was Mr. Dunbar. He, uh, he meant well, as, as most guidance counselors do. But the poster behind him, hanging on his wall, was instructive. It was a split screen. Right. And on the left hand side was an image of a graduate cap and gown holding his diploma, looking very hopeful and optimistic out toward the horizon. On, on the other side was a worker in coveralls, holding a wrench, looking down at, at his feet like he had clearly won some kind of vocational consolation prize. And um, the caption was that old platitude, work smart, not hard. And. Mr. Dunbar pointed to the poster and basically said, look, which guy do you want to be? And that was part of a big push for college in the 70s. And his question was, was powerful. You know, get the degree and a world of possibilities opens before you. And, you know, that was a big moment for me, too, because my, my granddad had a seventh grade education. He built the house I was born in without a blueprint. And... It just really struck me that was the epitome of the idea that one form of education is the best choice for the most people and that all other forms were in some in some way dangerous. We still have that assumption, don't we, that the four-year college is preferable to a two-year college, that community college is, well, it's okay, it's better than nothing, but that you really ought to be going to a prestigious four-year university and, and get a liberal arts degree so that you can think. From what I've seen, that mindset is absolutely still alive and well. And well, like like all dangerous tropes, there's some truth in it. I think the, the, the safer position to really own is the idea that without some form of meaningful education, you're screwed. You have to be trained and passionate about something, ideally some skill that's actually in demand. But the idea that you can only get that training by going hopelessly into debt and exiting the halls of higher education with a sheepskin that's a very dangerous proposition. Well, 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 tell us why that proposition is flawed. Because so much of the promise around the proposition is ephemeral. There are no guarantees at all about what your college degree is actually going to net out. On the other hand, we do have a lot of very hard data that we can look at and conclude certain things about the constants in the equation. Like debt, for instance, <laughs> we, we know exactly how much it costs to go to Duke for four years. We know exactly how difficult it is to pay that money back over time, assuming you can even find work in your chosen field. So the, the, the promise of the most expensive form of education is vague. So the conversation I think we should be having really and truly does involve a measure of cost-benefit, debt, and most importantly, the, the personal individual understanding of what you're going to do with the tool. And that ultimately is what education is, right? It's just a tool. And it won't hurt you if you don't know what to do with it, assuming you can afford it, but it makes so much more sense to acquire it when you have at least some idea 
of how you might wield the weapon, as it were. Right. And I, you, you know what? I'm sorry, Miranda, go ahead. My question is, I agree with you on, on many points. I just wanted to ask you if you think that one reason why your guidance counselor was pushing college is because a lot of manufacturing jobs, a lot of factory jobs have, have been, they're, they're not really in America anymore. So that might be one reason why they are pushing college, because are trade jobs still relevant? I think they are. I think that you can conclude that certain sectors fall in and out of favor, but it doesn't really preclude the question of what are you best suited to do? And right now, I think we've seen a huge shift back. Uh, Everybody I've talked to is talking continually about the struggles to recruit skilled labor. Right. And, you know, one thing I think that people often underestimate is the cost of that college degree. You know, a lot of people are getting all this debt. You know, they're getting halfway through, they've got some credits, and then they just can't keep going. So they've got all the debt and they don't have the degree. They've got the worst of both worlds. Yeah, it's like catching a falling knife, you know, or chasing a bad stock. Um, You're two, three years in, maybe I'm not going to do this. Maybe, you know, I mean, you're once you're invested, what are you going to do? You know, the pressure to finish becomes exponential. There, there's opportunity for certain, but I don't know how much opportunity there really is right now, specifically for a, a liberal arts degree. I wouldn't trade mine for anything. It's helped me in every single thing I do. But I do believe there's an expectation out there that says if I spend this amount of money for it, I ought to be able to do something with it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And that, to me, is the biggest difference between a broad-based liberal arts education and the pursuit of a very specific skill. Well, Mike, let's drill down into the skills gap. I mean, what kinds of skills do you think there's demand for that the education system is, is not supplying? Well, in terms of specific jobs available right now, I can tell you over the last few weeks, the companies I've spoken to who have really mapped it out for me, Caterpillar is, is dying for people who are willing uh, to work on heavy equipment, specifically in the Gulf and in North Dakota. They can't train them fast enough. In fact, they train them for free. Um, I talked to a kid uh, two weeks ago who's up in the back in oil fields. He's 26 years old, uh, second kid's on the way, just paid for his house in cash. He'd been working, repairing heavy equipment up there for the last four or five years. He actually quit his job because... He can freelance 
do much, much better. Now, it's cold. He's on the high plains. Uh, his family is down in Kansas, and he comes back every couple of months. It's, it's far from ideal. But my point is, you've got a 26-year-old kid with no debt, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, working when it suits him. Well, what kind of skill does that 26-year-old kid have that most people don't have? Well, the first question that I would look at is, what, what does he have in terms of his own ethic that most people don't have? So it isn't just skill? No. No. No, look, I mean, it, his, his willingness to identify the opportunity before he identified his own specific passion, that to me is the most interesting element of the conversation because we're still telling kids in a very, very general way to follow your passion. We're still telling people that the key to happiness starts with your ability to correctly identify the thing that will make you happy. The people I meet who are essentially coming at this from a different angle are people who look around to first identify where the opportunities are and then what the opportunities are and then how to become useful and proficient at the opportunity and then finally how to love it. You know, Mike, this is, this is something you talked a lot about over the years on Dirty Jobs. Yeah, the guys I've met on the show who stuck with me the longest are guys who looked around to see where everybody was going and then affirmatively went in the other direction and then made themselves useful. You know, people who learn a useful skill are so often looked at as one-dimensional blue-collar workers. The truth is, so many skilled tradesmen wind up creating small businesses and hiring a lot of people. Miranda Schaefer. Yeah, so Mike, I'm sure there are a lot of 26-year-olds out there that would love to buy their own home. Where can they find information about the skills and the jobs that will pay a lot of money? Yeah, it's a, it's a little tricky. I mean, it's, it's a fine question, but the answer will frustrate people because it's really nuanced. There's a, there's a geographical reality to the whole conversation that's, that's important to understand. I just did a whole series of videos with the governor of Michigan. And the skills gap in Michigan is very different than it is in Alabama. And it's very different than it is in Iowa and different still from Idaho. And we've done projects in all of those states. And I can tell you the opportunities are, are really different. You know, there's a, there's a healthcare challenge, an IT challenge. There's uh, construction, but that varies a lot from state to state. Uh, welding specifically is probably the biggest area right now that offers the most opportunity for the most people. Uh, my foundation works a lot with, uh, with MTI, which is a school in uh, Illinois. And uh, MTI is just one school and just one example. We work with dozens. Mike, our show is about solutions. And this is a good point to underline that this whole problem that we're talking about, the skills gap... It's not just training people. It sounds like it's, it's an attitude adjustment that is needed in this country over what kinds of jobs are attractive to people. Yeah, look, I hate to overreach. I'm not a social anthropologist, but honestly, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I think so much of what we talk about in terms of a problem, whether it's the skills gap or a crumbling infrastructure or 
outsourced manufacturing, you know, all of these things are serious, but I, I suspect that they're really symptoms of something that's just a lot more broad based. And I, I think that thing is our relationship with work, our definition of a good job. So you're saying we need a big cultural shift here. And, and actually, you've done something about that, Mike. You've, uh, tell us a little bit about the MicroWorks Foundation and how it operates and why you started it. Well, the short version with MicroWorks is we simply want to encourage people to affirmatively explore jobs that actually exist. So when you look at the two and a half, three million jobs currently available right now, and realize that that less than 25% require a four-year degree, you can start to see where people are talking past one another. So what we try and do is say, look, these opportunities are real. There are a lot of big companies right now willing to train you. There are a lot of uh, programs that are available and so much more affordable. So the kind of people that we aspire to reward – uh, go through what we call a work ethic scholarship program. And as I know you guys know, you know, there's, there's scholarships based on academics. There's scholarships based on athleticism. There's scholarships based on talent, need. But nobody really focuses on work ethic and specifically looks for people who are willing to retool, retrain, and potentially relocate. Well, have we become fat and unhappy? We're, we're, we're lazy and we're not willing to work as hard as we used to? Is, is that actually a problem? Personally, I think so. But I hate to lead with that only because a lecture is not going to fix anything. And the simple answer to your question is, yeah. Yeah, I think we have to think twice about what it is we're most impressed with in the wide world of work. And if we're not blown away in 2015 by the fact that the lights still come on when we flick the switch or the crap goes away when we flush the toilet, if, they, if those things don't still strike us as miraculous, then I think that's kind of where the problem starts. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Our society needs to do more to celebrate that kind of work and, and how much we all depend on it. My granddad was heroic in his day. He only went to the seventh grade, but by the time he was 30, master electrician and master plumber. And from then on, he just owned the world of the skilled trades. And today, um, he'd be Mr. Cellophane. You'd see right through him. And labor is mostly in quiet, unfortunate anonymity. <laughs> That's a problem. Mike Rowe, thanks for talking about the problem and also talking about some of the solutions. Your show, Somebody's Gotta Do It, new season, I think it's season three, on CNN, Sunday, September 27th. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Mike. You bet. So, Jim, this conversation with Mike Rowe underlines the difference between you and I because you've always been fascinated by how things work. And that's very much part of what being the editor of Popular Mechanics was all about. I've never been the least bit interested in how things work. I'm a complete doofus in that regard. You know, it's funny. I mean, he was talking about his uh, his grandfather. My grandfather worked on the Panama Canal, you know, at a time when... 
when working with your hands and uh, and building things and infrastructure was really celebrated, considered heroic. You know, those guys were heroes in those days. The guy who built the guys who built the Golden Gate Bridge were celebrated. This wonderful photography. You know, there was a time when people thought that stuff really, really mattered. We've come to take it for granted way too much. And yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there's been a huge change in attitude about skilled trades. And I think one of the most refreshing things that Mike talked about was not specific hard solutions when it comes to, okay, so what can we do about this problem? But more stepping back and going, you know, I think maybe we need an attitude shift. Yes, it's a cultural change. Here's what I think is going on. The people who really set the cultural agenda and set policy in our country are the product of pretty elite educations. You know, they go on to fancy schools. They value liberal arts education. And they, and so they look at the world, they think, well, anybody who doesn't do that, I mean, that's the route to a good, happy, and a, and a high-status life. They look at somebody who's repairing, you know, an air conditioner or, or an elevator, and they don't, they don't see that. So when they think about how to help people, they think everybody should go to the kind of college they went to as, as much as possible. And I just think they're wrong. Yeah, I think that part of the reason why that's happened is because our national conversation is being dominated by television, by celebrities, by people who perhaps do not share the lifestyle of the middle class and working class people. And that wasn't the case 50, 70 years ago, certainly before World War II, when your average newspaper reporter was blue collar, was not earning much more money at all than, than the guy who was fixing the pipes. N- news used to be a blue collar job. And you know? now increasingly it is once again. <laughs> it, it so maybe there's good. some hope for that. If you've met anybody who slaves away at a, at a little website, you can see we're kind of back in those days. But, the, but, but seriously, what I like about Mike's approach is he's not saying we need this government program or this policy. I mean, there are areas where we should think about policy, certainly in the in, you know, the over encouragement of people to take on too much debt for four year for your schools. We've talked about that on the show. But he's looking at the flip side. Let's celebrate the people who take the initiative for these jobs. There's a whole host and, and uh, you know, I know you're interested in like what are some of the specifics? I think the specifics might change from year to year. Uh, but there, are, but there are a lot of ways to research what are the the jobs that are really in demand right now. And, and one of the easiest ways is to go to Google and simply ask the question, "What are the most in demand jobs?" And I just did that, and I, I got a Fortune article that said that the top ten most in demand jobs are registered nurses, truck drivers, customer service representatives. Never quite sure exactly what that is. Uh, sales managers, but then also uh, general and operations managers and accountants and auditors. So Mm -hmm. uh, a a white-collar field, to still a considerable extent, doesn't mention skilled trades, doesn't mention manufacturing. But what's so interesting about Mike's approach is um, is there are a host of fields where— that require a surprising degree of training. You know, some people call these middle skill fields. And um, even just, you know, doing car repair today, it is not just, you know, it's not like when I used to um, change the points on my old Volkswagen. You know, everything involves uh, highly computerized systems. Uh, all, you know, a friend of mine runs a an automotive repair shop. One of his guys that he trained went off and now is in charge of, of um, the um, 
the auto repair program for I think it's for Mercedes in our state and makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's a it's a skill not that many people have. And but you do have to go get training. There's lots of programs. It's not just, you know, go down the street and pick up a hammer. Um, In many cases, you know, you do require some specialized training. But I do think that one of the most important things Mike said was a four year college degree is not necessarily any better than a, than a two-year degree at a community college setting you on the road to gaining new skills. Yeah, and and I'm a big believer in liberal arts education. I'm not one of these people who's out there saying like, oh, you know, what's the point of it? I, I majored in philosophy. It's hard to think of a, of a degree that seems to have less value, and yet I find value in it every day. But not everybody's the same. You know, people always talk about celebrating diversity. Well, let's celebrate diversity in the workplace. Let's celebrate people who do jobs that aren't so high status, aren't so popular, but are really, really vital. So let's look at solutions. What do you think some of the takeaways from this are? So I've got a couple. One is um, the federal government shouldn't uh, be building programs that assuming that helping people fund four-year college degrees is the only route up in I, our society. I do think that President Obama has addressed that to some extent. Well, he's got though. a program to make tuition free to two-year colleges. And they've you know, also been talking about two-year yeah, colleges more. Uh, some, although at the same time, you know, it seems to me that the federal government has poured uh, trillions of dollars into subsidizing higher education, and it keeps getting more expensive. So maybe it's time to rethink that. That's one. That's me. That's not Mike saying that. Um, two, you know, we need to um, we need to remove the stigma from the trades, and that goes. That's a cultural shift. But also, let's look at how we we train people in our high schools. You know, my high school in my town used to have a great metal shop and woodworking shop. By the time my kids got to high school, that was all gone. And there was a guitar lab and a computer lab. That's great. But, you know, I learned how to work a lathe and a few other things when I was a kid in middle school. And those that was useful that was useful to know even if i wasn't going to do it well again. i think you may be pointing to a bigger problem which is home economics has also gone away at schools and i think that that schools have retreated too far back from the workplace i think that they need to realize that for a very large number of students it's important to help kids with the idea of how do i go make my next step into the workforce and for a lot of kids that might be their chance to discover something that really intrigues them and moves them, um, you know, in that that shop class. And, and so I, I think that um, that we need to put those programs on an equal footing with uh, with with other fields and not um, and not assume that a kid who pursues that kind of route is some kind of a failure. And also, finally, Mike's point, go where the jobs are, not just where your passion is. Well, you know, and this is a big point. And this is something that Mike talks about again and again. A good job isn't just going to be handed to you. Let's circle back to where you find out more information about Mike Rowe's foundation. If you look up the Mike Rowe Works Foundation, there's all kinds of resources on his site. He even has scholarships. And that's not Mike Rowe as in M-I-C-R-O. It's Mike Rowe, M-I-K-E-R-O-W-E, Works. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And our audio engineer, Denise Barbarita, here at the Mono Lisa Studio in Manhattan. And our theme is composed by Lou Stravinsky. We're produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Thanks for joining us.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.